All right. Are you ready? No, you're not ready. Are you ready? Like, I got a mask on. I don't talk when I got a mask on, right? Um, some of you. Okay. We're going to be talking about the rhythm of silence and solitude. Now, my introverts in the room are super excited. You're very excited about this idea of silence and solitude. You want to hear more about it. It's You are good at practicing it because you don't talk to anybody if you don't have to, right? It's not exactly what the rhythm of silence or solitude is, but just as we enter into this, um, many theologians who have studied the practices that go back even before uh, Jesus himself have found that this is the most transformational rhythm that you can add to your life. Now, the reason we're calling these rhythms, and you may have heard of them as practices or disciplines or habits, you can, you can use any number of words you want to use. I'm using the word rhythm simply because uh, these are not things that if you, if you fail a, a day to practice one, God's mad at you and he's coming for you. These are not the kind of disciplines that, you know what, I didn't read Scripture today, and so I'm a failure as a Christian. No, a rhythm means this is an important part of my life, and I'm going to do this thing, and maybe one day I miss, but I'm going to pick back up the next day or the next day. It's a rhythm that is important to us that we practice, but we don't make it legalistic. And the reason we don't make it legalistic is because once we do that, we lose the whole power of what it's meant to be, and we're only doing it, well, because I'm supposed to do it. This is the frustration as a pastor when I talk about these things because um, if I say something like, well, you really need to read your Bible, and you read your Bible because I said you really need to read your Bible, but you don't have within you the desire to know what God wants to say to you, that Bible reading probably isn't going to affect you much, and you're going to go, well, Mark told me to read my Bible, but it really didn't mean anything to me. So then I'm stuck with this dilemma. Well, do I tell you to read it or not? Well, of course I do. You need to read it. But the heart in which we approach all of these things is really what makes it work or not work. It's the same with silence and solitude. By the end of what I'm talking with you today, and there's no way to cover it all today, we're actually going to break up some of these pieces and come back to them in the future. Uh, what, What I want to leave you with today is some things that you can do to practice this thing. And the thing is, is if you if you begin to incorporate the rhythm of silence and solitude in your life, you can practice it even in a room full of people. Crazy enough. And it also means that if you're all alone in the middle of a desert island, that doesn't mean that you're practicing silence and solitude at all. So as we approach these and as we walk through this today, um, I want you to just to, to recognize that if this is not a part of your life, and for most people it's not, and you're struggling with the question of why am I not growing, why do I not experience Christ, why am I not hearing from Him, this may actually be the thing. Now, last week we talked about what I felt like was like the number one thing because it gives an umbrella over all the rest, and that is the rhythm of guidance. It is the desire and the pursuit of being able to hear God's voice and to obey His Word. It is the desire to be guided by God. And the reality is, within the church, there are a lot of people that really don't want to be guided by God. (laughs) And it doesn't matter what we do or how good the worship set is or how good the preaching is or, or what version of Scripture we use or how many programs we have. If you're not interested in being guided then none of it really matters. That's why two people can be in the same service and one can walk away and their life is changing and another can walk away and be like, eh, eh, okay, I did a thing. It's really incredible how God works. So as we jump into this, this is 
the, the rhythm of silence and solitude, there's one practice that Jesus shows us over and over again that we typically read and we know, and when I read these passages to you, you're going to be like, oh yeah, I know that one. Yeah, I know that one. Yep, I know that one. Yep, I know that one too. But we don't necessarily pull together what Jesus is actually trying to teach with his life. Henry Nouwen said, this is the furnace of transformation. This is truly the thing that will allow you to be transformed in your pursuit to become like Christ. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, this is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And I want you to see the magnitude of what happens, what you as someone who was advising this, you know, growing, budding leader that many people were coming to follow, what would you say to this person, what you know about PR and what you know about growing an audience and what you know about being a leader? We have lots of leaders in the room. What would you say to Jesus at the time that these events are happening and then what does he actually do? It says, And Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John. Now this is the beginning of his public ministry. Not a whole lot of people know who Jesus is. He's not done a whole lot of stuff yet. But he is now kind of coming into the spotlight where John has really been the spotlight preacher up until this moment. He's the voice crying out in the wilderness. He's that guy that smells bad, looks bad, eats a lot of honey, which doesn't sound too bad. And he's baptizing tons and tons and tons and tons of disciples. He has way more disciples than Jesus does because Jesus technically at this point has none. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from the heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Now listen, I have for years said I would like for us to have a stage in Journey. And I wanted to have one of those platforms that sink down deep into the basement so that when the sermon, it's time for the sermon, the doors open and the lights shine out and smoke comes billowing out and then I just slowly rise out of the floor to begin the sermon. Now listen, I've been talking about this for 15 years now. It's not happened yet. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. You can make it, he can make it happen. All right. I just feel like that would just kind of create the mood, right, for a powerful moment to hear from God, wouldn't it? Well, I feel like that's the kind of moment Jesus is having here, right? So he's baptized and he comes up and this interesting you know, a group of events happen. The heavens open. A dove comes out and lands on him. And then this booming voice from the heavens says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, who else could have a better entrance into ministry than that? Now, if you were in charge of Jesus' PR, you would, for one, you'd be like, are you getting this? Are you getting this? Are you getting video on this? Have we got a good video on this? We've got to share this. This is going to go viral. And generally what you would want to do if you were telling someone how to grow their audience or how to be a good leader or how we're going to do this PR thing, you know, we need to capitalize on this event that just happened. We've got some momentum 
And we need to capitalize on this momentum. Jesus, we're going to call an event together. We're going to get thousands of people there. They've all seen this. We're going to have all these. Listen, we've got 15 people that were right there and heard the voice. We're going to put them up front, and they're going to tell everybody what they saw and heard. This is going to be great. This is going to be epic, Jesus. So that's the way we work today. That's the way we operate on how we're going to do these things. But verse 4 says what Jesus did instead. He says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, if you go through and you read through, you're going to know that those are the 40 days in which Satan is tempting him, and he's saying things like, if you throw yourself down from this cliff, these angels will come, and everyone will be impressed. It will be really a fantastic thing. And at the end of this 40 days, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now he heard that John had been arrested, and he withdrew into Galilee. I mean, Jesus is like, he's one month in, month and a half. He's a month and a half in, and twice he's gone on a personal retreat. (laughs) The first one was a lot tougher because it was 40 days in the desert. But what Jesus shows us is that time and time again, he had to get away in a very important moment, that you and I may decide we need to move forward, where Jesus says, no, you need to move back. You need to get away. You need to spend some time. And for him, that was to spend time with the Father. In Luke chapter 6, it says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued to pray to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. When Jesus was facing something big, got away when he was baptized and God the father said through the clouds you are my son this is my son who I am well pleased he has to get away and he goes through the temptation in the desert he returns and John the Baptist with whom was a friend and he said there was no greater man on the face of the earth than John the Baptist when he was arrested he had to get away when he had to come and be uh, you know decide on who his disciples are going to be Jesus first goes away to get with the Father. And then when he comes back, that's when he begins to call the first disciples. After this, we read later in Matthew chapter 14, Jesus is going to minister to the twelve. He's going to train them, prepare them. And then we have this incredible moment where he says, you're going to go out two by two, and you're going to go do what I'm doing, but you're going to go do it just you all. I'm going to spread you out. You're going to have a partner. You're not going to take anything with you. Every town you go into, you're going to have to ask for food. Uh, nobody's going to feed you. I'm not going to give you a bunch of money because we don't have a bunch of money. Um, you're just going to take one set of clothes, go do your thing, and then come back and tell me how it went. And so we read in Matthew chapter 14, he sends them out. Then he hears that John the Baptist has been beheaded. Around the same time the twelve are returning in order for him to be able to debrief them and see how things went. It says this when Jesus heard about the death of John the Baptist in Matthew 14, 13. When Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Yet again, major life event, Jesus is getting away. This regular practice of getting away, being away, being alone. Now immediately after this passage is when Jesus is then going to feed these groups of people we call the feeding of the 5,000. 
In Mark chapter 6, when it talks about the apostles returning, this is what he does to the apostles when they return from their work. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat, and they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Can I ask you this? When's the last time you chose to go away to a desolate place? Just you and God. I really wonder when's the last time you had a quiet moment in your life. How many distractions do we have in our lives that take our time and attention? How many times are we so busy doing things that we can't even keep track of all we're doing? Do you ever do this? I don't know about you, but have you ever find yourself driving somewhere and you can't remember how you got there? Does anybody else do that? Thank you. Praise Jesus. I thought I needed to go see a doctor, but I'm not the only one. Sometimes I have my, my schedule so full and I've got all these things that I've got to do, and I'm, and I'm doing them. I'm working my list. I'm one thing right after the other, and I'm trying to keep them straight in my mind, and, and I'm going, and I'm going, and I'm like, wait, wait. How in the world did I get in Canada? No, I've never done that. But I do regularly have these moments. I'm like, how did I get here? It's like I can't store all the things that I'm doing in my mind or even in my memory. The other day I got a dreaded piece of mail. I didn't think we still got these in Chattanooga, but apparently we do. It was stamped the Enforcement Division of the Hamilton County Police or Sheriff or somebody. I don't remember who does it. Anybody else get one of these lately that says you ran a, a red light camera? And you know what I do? I don't know what you all do. What I do when I get one of these letters is first thing I'm looking for is, okay, who was it? Because I know it was Deidre. I know it was Deidre. So I open my letter. It was my car. You know what my second thought was? When did she borrow my car? So then I look at the date. When did this happen? What? When was I there? And I don't remember. It had to have been Deidre because I wasn't there. And then I'll remember. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was... Did that. And then yesterday I pulled up to the mailbox. I had another one. And you know what I did? First thing when I opened it, I bet it was Deidre. It was probably her. Oh, it was my car. Oh, did she borrow my car? I do it. I literally do this every single time I get one of these. Oh, I haven't got one in a long time. I've gotten two in the last week. It's been terrible. But I, both times I look at the location, the picture, and I'm like, this was last week. When was I there? So many times we're so busy, the thought of getting away and being quiet just seems like it's an impossible thing. And we have so many things that go through our minds of all the things that we have to do, then when we get away, we have a hard time actually being quiet because we're thinking about all the other things we really need to be doing with this time. And then if you're like really trying, then you start having this internal dialogue with yourself, right? Maybe you've done this too, and you're like, this is my time with God. I should stop thinking about these things. I am such a failure as a Christian. And now you've got all these competing thoughts and there's no silence or solitude happening at all because your mind is going berserk. And I feel like it gets, just gets worse with technology. We've got our earbuds in. We've got music going. We've got, oh, somebody liked my post. Oh, wow. Like we can't stop. How many times do you wake up and the very first thing you do is look at your phone? Or that's the very last thing you do before you go to bed. 
Or if you go to the bathroom. No, we won't talk about that, right? We won't talk about the bathroom phone usage. The point is, is we have so many things vying for our time and attention. The reason that many of us don't follow what Jesus is teaching here is because we don't either feel like we can or we don't feel like that we even want to. Too much stuff we need to do. Even when his apostles come back, he's teaching them from their very first excursion, you need to get away and you need to spend time quietly with God and with me, Jesus would be saying. In Mark chapter 6, verse 30, I think that's actually what I just read. Matthew 14, verse 22, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowds, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. This is right after the feeding of the 5,000. And this is right before Jesus is going to walk on water and get into the boat with the disciples. Peter gets out. You know the whole story. Not only does he send them away, he separately gets away. In Matthew chapter 17, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him as they got away to a place of silence and solitude. See, with Jesus After a big event and before a big event, you can see Jesus repeatedly over and over and over and over again getting away somewhere quiet. This is what he's teaching us. This is what he's trying to show us. This is what he's trying to teach his disciples. Even up to the Garden of Gethsemane in which he's about to give his life for all of humanity and he gets his closest disciples together and says, come away with me. Let's get away to a quiet place. And let's pray. We read that in Matthew 26, verse 36. Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. We learn from Jesus that Jesus regularly got away to a place of solitude and silence to be with God. Regularly got away. If you feel that your time with God is not meaningful. If you feel that you come to worship, but there's no worship. If you feel that you read the Bible and you've read a bunch of words, but it means nothing to you. If you wonder if God has abandoned you, or if you wonder if God will ever speak to you, is it possible, is it just possible that your lack of time with God could be stunting your growth as a Christian? Can you, even, let's just take God out of the equation. Can you spend a certain amount of time every single day silently? Can you do it? Now, just because you're spending it silently doesn't mean that you're practicing the rhythm of silence and solitude. It just means that you're not saying anything. Your thoughts can be 100% on yourself. Your thoughts can be 100% on the things that you've got to do. It doesn't mean that you're actually practicing this rhythm just because it's quiet in the room. But I find fewer and fewer people who can just sit quietly and not have something going on. Something going on. I I see it in myself. If you come by here when I'm working, you're going to hear something's on. I've got music going. I've got something going that... 
just kind of keeps my mind kind of busy while I'm working on stuff. Maybe I don't want to be working on it. Maybe it's mundane, data entry stuff, and I just, oh, I hate it. i got to keep my mind busy while I'm doing this. Increasingly, the ability to just sit, soak God in, increasingly become difficult for us. We read about this in other places in Scripture. In Psalm 46.10, it says, Be still and know that I am God. This is that practice. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 and 17 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. How do we do that? The problem is we are just so busy. And honestly, some of us are afraid of being alone. We're afraid of being captive to our own heart, our own thoughts. Because silence and solitude is not just that time in which you're quiet before God. It actually raises an awareness about who you really are without someone in the room with you telling you who they think you are. wonder if we were to go through the room and I was to really sit with you quietly in a separate place and I was just to interview you and just try to get to the bottom of who do you think you are? How many of the thoughts that we have about who we are have been placed there by somebody else? Expectations, judgments, criticisms, praise and encouragements. How much of our ability to understand ourselves has been placed there by someone else and we don't fully yet understand ourselves? See, we we are blind to it when it's our problem, but we can see it when it's somebody else. We can see it like they don't even get it. Like, that's not the person they are at all. That's just who their friends tell them they are. And clearly, that's not who they are. This is a practice that opens up your heart to see what really is, not just what we wish it were or what someone tries to pretend it is. What is really true, what is really real. Simple silence at times for us just becomes agonizing if you don't make this a regular routine of your life. It can be agonizing because you feel alone or it can be agonizing because you begin to realize things about yourself that you're just not comfortable with. Another reason this is a problem, and just like my time when I'm driving and I can't remember how I got here, our minds can only process so much information. I mean, there's only so much that can happen at one time. I like to think I'm a good multitasker, but most behavioral therapists or scientists will tell you nobody's actually good at multitasking. You can only really focus on one thing at a time. You can't focus on multiple things at a time, and you say, yeah, wait, watch. And yet, I do find that I can be pretty competent with more than one thing at a time. But you add enough things, I reach my limit, and I realize I'm my limit. And if I'm honest, when I equate something that I have created and I focus 100% on it versus something I've created while I've been multitasking, one is way better than the other, even if I did accomplish it. Our nervous systems can only handle so much information. There's only so much that it can do. And we can really only focus on one thing at a time. For me personally, if I don't spend at least some time every week 
I'm not going to say I did it every day because I would be lying if I said I did it every day. If I don't spend some time every week being perfectly still and quiet with God, I begin to see things change within me. I start getting frustrated. I start getting irritable. Um, you may go, well, Mark was just not acting like himself. Probably this is why. I've probably run, 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 and I haven't had time to stop and to process and to reflect and to think and to meditate and to pray and to figure out what am I really doing and why am I really going in this direction. Last week we had a, a snafu with our, um, our service online um, because I thought, you know what, I'm just going to record this thing and uh, I'm going to let everybody just take the weekend off and I'll have this thing uploaded and it'll be great. And I mean, my schedule... I, if you don't know me, I'm bivocational, so I do a lot of marketing during the week for a, a lot of different businesses, and so I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna work this out. I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have a weekend where I'm, we're just at home as a family, and we're just gonna enjoy each other. And I'm gonna rest. I'm gonna sleep in, and I'm gonna binge watch all the stuff I haven't been able to watch. And I'm just gonna blah 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 blah. blah. You know how that goes. And so Friday got here, and I was like, I've got it. I've got my sermon ready, and I wrote it out, and I had it, and it was good. Oh, it was so good, and uh, you didn't see it. Um, but it was good. And so then I went and I recorded it. And the entire time I recorded, I was like, this is so bad. This is so bad. And then I finished and I got through and I'm like, but I'm done. I'm done. You, you all ever do that? Like, this is bad, but I'm done. So I'm processing it. I'm going through it. And I'm like, okay, how bad is it? And so I start watching it, which if you ever are a teacher, is like the most agonizing thing ever. I started watching it, and I was like, no, it's not bad. It's like worse than that. It's so bad. So I had to rewrite it and redid it. So what you did see, if you watched it last week, was the second one I did Sunday morning. Anyways, I had a problem uploading it. That's my life. The reality is I rushed into teaching a sermon on Friday night, and I didn't have time to stop and think about what I was saying. It was all correct. It's all right. Tons of Scripture. I mean, technically, you could still, I could put it up there, and it would be great for a textbook. But as far as motivating anyone to be guided by God, it was trash. It hadn't had time to stop and reflect. Think. Spend time with God. Just say, God, what would you want me to say? What do you think about this? I don't do this. I don't have this rhythm in my life. I get frustrated. I get irritable. And you can notice a very real difference within me. If you never have a time like this, I'm telling you right now, you are a person right now whom you aren't actually that person. You haven't had time to stop and listen. Dallas Willard said this. He said, solitude, well-practiced, will break the power of busyness, haste, isolation, and loneliness. You will see that the world is not on your shoulders after all. You will find yourself, and God will find you in new ways. Silence also brings Sabbath to you, which we're actually going to talk about a separate week. It, complete, if it completes solitude, for without it you cannot be alone. Far from being a mere absence, silence allows the reality of God to stand in the midst of your life. God does not ordinarily compete for our attention. In silence, we come to attend. That's powerful. Like, that's on you version. If you want to copy that and you want to reflect on that and print it out and stick it on your bathroom mirror whenever you're brushing your teeth to think about it, I love those last two sentences. 
Far from being a mere absence, silence allows the reality of God to stand in the midst of your life. God does not ordinarily compete for our attention. In silence, we come to attend. This is the story of Elijah. He's not in the storm. He's not in the earthquake. He's not in the fire. He's in that small, quiet whisper. That's where God is. He's that image that we've talked about the last couple of weeks of God knocking on the door and waiting to be invited in. He doesn't force himself on us. Silence and solitude says, this is my time to be with you. Silence and solitude, one of the reasons this is so important is because it changes us. Silence and solitude changes us. Now I want you to understand when I'm saying silence and solitude, this is time that is focused on God alone. You, you practice this long enough in a room full of people, you can still practice silence and solitude in that moment. But you've got to train yourself to tune out all the distractions. When you're not used to practicing silence and solitude, you generally have to get away somewhere whether it's going to be um, in a different room, in a different place, going outside. Silence and solitude changes us in these ways. Number one, it allows you to focus. It allows you to focus. How many times do you, in a day do you focus solely and specifically on God? Probably not very many, let's be honest. No judgment. It's just the way we live our lives. Silence and solitude is taking the time to get away and to focus, to take away all the things we're afraid of, all the things we're upset over, all the decisions we've got to make, all the things that aren't going the way we hoped they were going to go, and focus 100% on Him. It frees you from every distraction, worry, and fear. Silence and solitude changes us and helps us to see ourselves more clearly as we are, instead of how others see or portray us. But it also reminds us of how big God is. I have this incredible thing that happens when I stop and slow down and just, can just meditate on God. I pray, you know, I may sing a song um, that I like that no one else will ever hear me sing in public. Um, I, I may just meditate on something particular, maybe a scripture that has come to mind that I'm just thinking about the scripture or this thing and I just feel like God is telling me, Mark, this is what I'm calling you to this other thing. I want you to, to focus your attention on this thing. And sometimes I just think about that. I actually have a visual um, a reaction to silence and solitude. Visual reaction. My visual, visual, I clearly don't have an auditory one, but I have a visual reaction to it. I can't speak. And it is this. When I'm driving down the road, and I'm stressed, and I'm busy, and I'm thinking about the next thing. Like the only thing I can see is the road. Maybe the few little trees or bushes around the road. But when I've taken time to do some soul care, and I've spent some time with God, and I've removed the distractions, and I've gotten all the worries and fears, and I've said, God, you got this. If you want this to go, you know, fall apart, but you, you still got me. Whatever. I, if this isn't going to go the way I want it to go, I'm okay with that because you're still here. When I have that moment, all of a sudden, I see there's a horizon. And there's stuff to the left and right of me. And I see that bird that goes off up to the sky, and I see those clouds. And I, I, I literally have a visual change in the field of which I see from just right here to now the world opens up. The burden of the world comes off my shoulders. 
And I begin to see so much more. Things that whenever I'm here in this moment, I can't process. I can't make a decision. I don't know what we're supposed to do in this moment. But when I spend time with God and I realize He's got this, and God is so much bigger, my world opens up literally before my eyes. If you don't ever take time to do that, you may have a similar experience. I mean, it's something that I've seen time and time again in my life that I've come to expect that even to at times trigger the times I need to get away with God. Oh, I'm here. I know I'm here. God, clearly I need to get away and be with you because this is the world I want to see. Silence and solitude does that for us. It helps us see ourselves more clearly instead of how others see or portray us, and it reminds us of how big God is and also how much He loves us. The fourth thing, silence and solitude changes us, and these are only four things. There's so many others we could add. It changes how we respond once we learn how to be quiet. Now, this is not what our culture likes. I have friends, that, and they text me. They want a response right away. They email me. They've got email receipts on their, set up on their computer, so they know as soon as I open it. And sometimes I know who those people are, and I'm like, I'm just going to let this sit here for a while. I'm going to open it, and I'm going to let it sit here, and they're going to be like, why is Mark not responding? Love it hate read receipts, by the way. You should turn them off on your phones. You should not use them on your emails. I understand why people use them for work. Like, I didn't get that email. Uh, yes, you did. I understand why you use them. But they put a pace of life on us that we respond usually in not the best way when we have to respond immediately. Silence and solitude actually gives you the ability to stop, to reflect, and to consider. And I cannot tell you how valuable that is for me to continue to be a pastor. Because sometimes somebody wants my opinion on something, and if they don't give me time to think about it, I'm going to tell them. And I haven't yet let God inform my opinion yet. Literally, I couldn't be a pastor if I didn't do this. Like Everyone would hate me. I mean, I think I've got enough haters anyways, but even more would. But if you want to practice this, then we're going to close. you want to begin to practice this, oh, I've got to read this quote from Henry now, and this is so good. I don't want to jump ahead of this. He says this about solitude and silence. Theologian Henry Nowen, I'm incredible. Anyways, solitude and silence can never be separated from the call to unceasing prayer. If solitude were primarily an escape from a busy joy, and silence primarily an escape from a noisy milieu, they could easily become very self-centered forms of asceticism. But solitude and silence are for prayer. The desert fathers do not think of solitude as being alone, but as being alone with God. They did not think of silence as not speaking, but as listening to God. Solitude and silence are the context within which prayer is practiced. In other words, you can't just be quiet. love that. Desert Fathers. You know who the Desert Fathers are, right? The Desert Fathers are those around the time that Christianity was becoming legalized in the known world and was becoming a political power, not just some you know, sect of Judaism, but it was this political power. Um, they said, we've got to get away. This is going to ruin our faith. We've got we to get away from all this stuff. This isn't real Christianity. That's why they're some of the best writers we could read honestly, in a time where the, the church is so intertwined in everything but Christianity. If you want to begin the practice 
of silence and solitude. And I will tell you, this, this is the greatest indicator of walking with Christ, the amount of time you get away alone with God. If you're not doing that, you're not growing. There's no possible way you're growing if you're not doing this. Number one, easy. Set time aside and turn off the distractions. Set time aside. Jesus, when he was teaching his disciples how to pray, he spoke to this very specifically, and he says in Matthew chapter 6, he says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward, which is they got to be seen by others. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. In other words, when you're practicing serious amounts of prayer with God, don't do it in the public sphere. You need to get away. This is exactly what Jesus is doing time and time and time again. He's getting away to spend time with the Father. He says, I'm here to do the will of my Father. He says, only things I'm telling you are the things the Father has told me to tell you, which guess when the Father was probably telling him those things to tell you. It's when he's getting away. Set time aside. Turn off the distractions. I, can you today, when you leave here, go home, turn off the phone, turn off the TV, shut the door, don't have music going, nothing happening at all, can you sit for 10 minutes? This is a good test for today. Go home, 10 minutes. And some of you are like, I'll be asleep in three. But that's okay. Can you for 10 minutes sit with nothing else going on? I bet most of us start getting really anxious really quick. I got other things I want to do. I got other things I need to do. I promised I was going to make this happen. And I only have today because I got to go back to work tomorrow. And oh, I got to make that phone call. And oh, somebody's mad at me about this. And oh, I need to do that. And oh, God, I should be spending this time with you and I'm not. I bet a lot of those feelings start coming up for people. They're normal. I feel them too. You'll never get past that if you don't make this a rhythm of your life that you get away. Now, how often should you do this? How often do you want to spend time with your spouse or your kids or your best friends? I don't know. That's your choice. Is he the pearl of great price for us? I would encourage you to find time each day. You don't have to do hours each day. Just a time, just to get away, just to reset, just to spend time with God. Maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's ten minutes. Maybe it's 30 minutes or an hour. Do it daily. Maybe a time each week that you get away. I do this every week for any good sermon I've ever preached, which may tell you how many times I haven't done this. But for any good sermon I've ever preached is because I've had a weekly time where I've gotten away with God. Outing myself there. Each month, how can you do this? What about each quarter? Maybe you actually get away and you say, this weekend, I'm just getting away. Or maybe you can only do that once a year. And it's not that I'm going to get away, and while I'm away, I'm going to spend time with God. Do you ever wonder why we love vacation so much? It's because we don't have the distractions we have in our normal everyday life. So that makes every experience on vacation so much better that we don't want to stop having those experiences. But you've probably practiced some form of silence and solitude among your vacation that has actually encased it in your mind as such a beautiful memory that you want to repeat. It's one of the reasons. Set time aside. Turn off the distractions. Number two, focus on God. 
We're going to be talking again in the future on ways that you can do this as well during this series. Um, there are things you can do, reflecting, meditating, studying, praying, fasting, journaling, spending time examining yourself. There are lots of things you can do during this time. But it needs to be a focus on God. The third thing is this, be an unhurried presence. What do I mean by an unhurried presence? Don't set your timer for 10 minutes. And then when it goes off, you're done. You're free. Be unhurried. Sit. See where it takes you. Because this is where God interacts. And when He begins to interact, the worst thing you can do is say, Sorry, God, time's up. See you next time. Be an unhurried presence. Some of the ways that you can read if you're really like, Okay, I, I really don't know if I can spend 10 minutes sitting quietly. You, you can also read Scripture, and there's a, a way to read Scripture. Again, we're going to talk about this in more depth later, but just to give you something quick if you want to practice today, you can read Scripture, but you read Scripture a different way. You don't read Scripture to, to memorize. You don't read Scripture to just add to your knowledge. You don't just add content to the biblical narrative in your mind, but you read to hear what God is saying through it, which requires reflection. It requires a time that what you're reading, you start asking the question, what does this tell me about God that I'm reading? What does this tell me about myself? What does this tell me about how I should live my life? Is there something literally this is telling me I'm supposed to do right now? Just reflect. You don't have to remember, now, who was that that was at that event? How many people got fed and how many loaves? Of, you know, that's not the point of this reading. The point is just to absorb and hear what God has to say. We'll read for knowledge at other times, but... This time is meant for reflection. You can then pray about what you're discovering. God, I think you're saying this. I don't, I'm not sure this is what you're saying, but I think this is what you're saying. Is this what you're saying? Maybe you just reflect. Maybe you just think about it. Maybe you, you think, gosh, this is just so foreign to me. I would never do that. Why would I never do that? seems like God says this is a good thing to do. And then finally, just go and practice what you've discovered. Take it with you. Take what happens in that moment into your non-quiet moments of life, and you'll find that in the non-quiet moments of life, all of a sudden they're way, way better. You're more at peace. You're more at ease. Finally, I'm just gonna I'm gonna leave this with you. This is Richard Foster. Another, if you haven't figured it out, Richard Foster, Henry Nowen, and Dallas Willard are like some of the pioneers in talking about spiritual practices that lead to transformation within your life. Like I'm going to be quoting all three of them like this whole series. So if you've got an issue with any of them, I'm sorry. Um, solitude is more a state of mind and heart than it is a place. In other words, you can do this anywhere. You can do this anywhere. There is a solitude of the heart that can be maintained at all times. Crowds or the lack of them have little to do with this inward attentiveness. Oh, I love that. Inward attentiveness. As we close today, I know a few things are probably stereotypically true. One is men are going to struggle more with women, though not always. Women tend to reflect more than men do. Men tend to be, something needs to be done. I'm going to go get it done because i got other things that need to be done. Women tend to stop and reflect more than men do. Not always. Sometimes it's the reverse. But I would encourage you to practice this. I've told you that every week we're going to have different ways to practice this. 
Now, I would like to for you to practice this every day, but I don't want to set you up for failure that you give up. So practice it today because it's Sunday. You don't go to work today, most of you. And find at least one other time this week to practice this. Ten minutes, quiet silence. If you don't make the whole ten minutes, it's okay. Whatever you do make is valuable. Just try to do longer each time. If you want your Bible open, read to absorb, not read to memorize. Reflect. Ask God, what is he trying to say through this? If there's a, an if, if there's an action step, be intentional about taking that action step. But you won't always have an action step in these times of silence and solitude. If there's one, take it. Usher it into the rest of your life because that's what Jesus did and that's what he taught his disciples to do. Now this alone is not going to absolutely transform your whole life, but without this, I don't know that transformation is possible. We're going to continue with these rhythms. I do not want to just pile on your to-do list. Take the ones that you can and start. These will be online for a long time. There's lots of books you can read about these practices as well. If the only thing you can do right now is focus on guidance and focus on silence, then listen, your life is already about to be transformed you'll eventually want to add some of the other practices to it. We're going to have some different speakers and different people sharing that um, are practicing these in different ways because not everybody practices all these rhythms exactly the way I do, and it's important to know that. Let's live our lives, if he is the pearl of great price, being transformed in the image of Christ because that's what he said we are destined to become. And along the way, we will find that that burden that's light and easy. We'll find that joy that has room for sadness, and yet it still overflows with joy. We'll have the opportunities to see God, to hear from Him. And we'll be at peace even when the rest of the world is falling apart. I encourage you to practice these rhythms. But let's do this. I'll send you some reminders. If you're not following us on Facebook, that's where I'm putting the reminders for our Facebook group. Most of these are on our Facebook page. So if you've not been looking at the page, you can jump on there, and I'll be sending some prompts throughout the week for this entire series. If you didn't follow through with the readings from last week, they're still on there. Go and pick up on the readings. All the readings we did last week were on guidance, God leading us. All right? That's all I got for you. We're in an anxious time. A hard time with all the things that we have with COVID and with politics and with different parts of the world, natural disasters. This is a hard time. This is the perfect time to begin practicing rhythms because God allows us to overcome them all. Father, I pray that in this room for those that they need a moment with you, you're just waiting for that moment to get away alone with you. You have so much to share with them and you just want them to experience your presence. I pray that you will set aside some time, that they will recognize it and will, will be able to set aside and be quiet and still so they can hear you. Father, I pray that you forgive us when we place everything else in our life as more important than you. And help us quietly be able to understand who we are in your eyes, to be able to see you clearly and to be able to follow you fully. You are the pearl of great price. You are beautiful for us. And I thank you that we have the opportunity to come and to worship, to follow you, and to love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. We're done for today.
And uh, I hope you have a great week. And we'll see you then.